Good morning, Terwilliger Community Church. Thank you so much for joining us online this morning and Happy New Year. Uh, it's great to be in this new year with you and hopefully you had a great past couple of weeks of celebrating both the birth of Christ as well as uh, ushering in 2021. Our scripture reading for this morning comes from Matthew chapter 6 verses 1 to 4. I will be reading for us from the English Standard Version. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that we find ourselves this morning in a new year. And God, I thank you that we are a a people who mark time. Lord, how good and right it is to pause and look back on the 12 months that have been, as well as to look forward to what is ahead. Lord, as the psalmist prays, teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days. Lord, may we honor you with our actions and our deeds. And this morning, Lord, as we turn our attention to the teaching of Jesus, I ask God that by the power of your Spirit, our hearts would be postured to receive from you all that you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before we get started, um, I hope you don't mind. I wanted to take a couple of selfies. I, I kind of realized this week, looking on Facebook and Instagram, that so many people they have all these like highlight photos from the last year. And I'm like, man, I don't have a picture of me preaching the Bible. Um, I don't have a picture of me like up talking to people. And I think it's a big part of my life. And I think that everyone needs to know that I do this. And so I'm just going to get one of like these shots. And there we go. Yeah. And uh, if you could just look into your TV and just stare, we'll get a nice like group selfie. Okay. (laughs) Hopefully you all know I'm joking. And those of you who just looked at your TV and smiled to be part of my picture, we can't see you. Um, We know you're there, sort of, but uh, don't worry, we can't. We're not like looking at your home or anything. Well, yeah, obviously I'm joking. I I don't want to capture selfies of me preaching this morning. But if I'm really honest with you, I would love a great picture of me preaching. I would love to have that photo up on Facebook or Instagram, and I would love to see the comments, you know, like, preach the word, brother, thumbs up, love, emoji, and all that stuff. I would love that. It would make me feel really, really good. But if as one of your pastors, I got up here every week, and I took a selfie, and I was all like, hey, everybody, you'd be like, man, that Pastor Adam, (laughs) what's he about? What's he doing? But I got to ask a question. Does this pop up in your life? This happens to me often in life when maybe I'm experiencing something with my daughters or hanging out with my wife or we're doing something, we're having a whole lot of fun. And I pause and I think to myself, 
man, this is that moment. I was going to say Kodak moment, but if you're under like 18, you probably don't know what that means. Um, but I pause and I'm like, I should capture a picture of this so that I can put it on Facebook because I would love to share the world uh, this moment. And maybe if you're like me, you find yourself in various situations where you kind of pause and you look around and you're like, did anyone just see what I did? That was, that was pretty great. Or, or you pause and you're like, I got to get my phone. I got to take a picture of this. A few years back, I remember there was this thing going on on social media where people would sit down to do their devotions. And it was like the classic picture of the Bible and a cup of coffee. And it was like spending time with the Lord. Hashtag blessed. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. But even as I say these things, you're probably thinking, well, there's an obvious problem around the whole issue of only doing the right thing so that other people can see it. Or doing the right thing with the motivation that you'll be praised by other people. I don't have to tell you that maybe that's not the best, that that motivation isn't the best. But this is exactly what we are talking about this morning because this is the issue that Jesus brought up some 2,000 years ago. If you're just joining with us, we've been journeying through the Sermon on the Mount And we took a short break from the Sermon on the Mount in the month of December to engage with Advent. And we looked at the themes of hope, love, joy, and peace. Before that, we were in the Sermon on the Mount looking at um, the second section that we've kind of identified. The first section, we would have said, is the the Beatitudes, which we looked at back in June, I believe, June and July. Uh, And then this previous section we were in, in Matthew chapter 5, we would have titled Acts of Righteousness. So it's looking um, at issues of of how do we as human beings relate to other human beings? How do we act in our marriage? How do we deal with anger? How do we deal with our enemies? Um, What's important about our words and what comes out of our mouth? So we've been talking about all that in the Acts of Righteousness. And this morning, we kind of turn the page into a new chapter, chapter 6 of Matthew, where Jesus is changing his focus. Going from talking about acts of righteousness to what um, Greg Stassen, um, a, a resource we're drawing on quite heavily for this series, uh, he calls acts of piety, or we could call acts of like spiritual practices or, or spiritual disciplines. And it's in this section that Jesus is going to address three different, uh, three different spiritual practices. Giving, prayer, and fasting. And he's going to speak to each one of these. So we're going to do the same in the next four weeks, including this morning. Uh, We'll be talking about this morning, we'll talk about giving. Uh, Next week we'll be looking at uh, prayer. The week after that we'll continue talking about prayer as we look at the the great prayer, the the Lord's Prayer. And then we will uh, turn our attention to the, the spiritual practice of fasting. So that's where we are headed. But I believe at the core of Jesus' teaching in this section is this reality that our motivation matters. Be it fasting, prayer, giving, be it reading your Bible, attending church, doing the right thing. Jesus is saying that when we do the right thing, our motivation behind that matters. Our motivation behind us doing the right thing matters. And I want to suggest that our motivation directly impacts our experience of the life to the full that Jesus came to bring. We've titled this sermon series, Living the Life. And we really believe that if Jesus came to bring life abundant, as he says in John chapter 10, verse 10, if Jesus had a a vision statement or a mission statement that he shared with us, it was that he came to give life, life abundantly. 
He said he came for other reasons as well, but we're focusing in on that one this morning. When Jesus said that, uh, it's an invitation to us to come to him and experience and to receive that. So we come to his teaching looking for, okay, Lord, how do we find that life abundant that you came to give us? But if our motivations behind us doing the right thing are, are wrong, if they're skewed, if they're off, it will directly impact our experience of that life to the full. So be it giving, prayer, fasting, acts of charity, having right relationships. If the reason behind why we do these things flow from uh, an improperly motivated heart, we, as we read God's message, as we read God's word, we understand he's inviting us to have a properly motivated heart. If the way that we live our lives is to flow from a properly motivated heart, what kind of heart is Jesus inviting us to have? Well, looking at this text, I believe that Jesus calls his disciples to have hearts that are devoted to God, hearts that are generous, and hearts that are loving. Jesus calls his disciples to have hearts that are devoted to God, generous, and loving. So I want to look at each one of these three kind of headings, uh, this idea of being devoted to God, this idea of generosity, and this idea of being loving, and we'll dive into each one. Well, the first thing that Jesus invites us to, again, to have hearts that are devoted to God. Uh, This passage starts off with a warning. Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Now, it's interesting here because if we're not reading the sermon carefully, we might pause and go, whoa, whoa, but my, my righteousness is important. It's important for me to do the things that God has called me to do. And if Jesus is telling me not to practice those in front of other people, well, how do I practice them? You know, there'll be situations where other people are watching me, and am I not supposed to do the right thing in those contexts? Absolutely not. That is not what Jesus uh, says to us. Again, what he's getting at here is the why behind a practice of righteousness. Jesus presents for us two opportunities to practice righteousness before men or before God. And if we flip back just a, a, probably a page in your Bible or just look over a column or two, uh, you'll see that in Matthew chapter 5 verse 16, it seems like Jesus is almost telling us to do the opposite thing. Jesus says that you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people put a light, light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to, your, to, your, to God the Father who is in heaven. Okay, Jesus, why are you now telling me not to practice my good works in front of other people? Well, here Jesus again is getting at the motivation. Two opportunities. To, to live righteously either before God, which is what um, which is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5.16, that we, we, we do righteous acts so that God is glorified. Or the other opportunity is before men, Matthew 6 verse 1, where Jesus says, do not practice your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. That phrase, in order to be, is so key in this. Are we doing the right thing in order to glorify God? Or are we doing the right thing in order to glorify ourselves? The heart behind Matthew 5.16 is is a heart of doing righteousness saying, I want to see God known. I want to see God glorified. The motivation we have in Matthew chapter 6 verse 1 is, I want to see myself known. I want to see myself glorified.
glorified. I want other people to speak well of me. And to that heart posture, Matthew 6, 1, Jesus says, beware. If our hearts are devoted to ourselves, we actually end up missing out the point of these spiritual practices. If our hearts are devoted to ourselves, we miss the point of these spiritual practices. You know, it's interesting, last week we talked about a rule of life. You know, as we head into a new year, what are some, what are some systems and structures you're going to put in place to help you, uh, again, almost experience this life to the full that, that Jesus has come to bring? We talked about doing devotions. We talked about care for our bodies. We, we talked about being in community. And in each one of these things, I believe that there's a blessing to be had. But friends, hear the warning from Jesus. That if our heart behind doing all these things, if our heart behind having these structures is to glorify ourselves, we're going to miss out on what Jesus actually has for us. Because it's so clear here. There is a reward to living in these acts of devotion. There is a reward for those who give. There is a reward for those who pray. There is a reward for those who fast. So what is that reward? Uh, New Testament scholar Michael Wilkins writes that the reward that Jesus promises follows the central message of the Sermon on the Mount. The reward is the righteousness of the kingdom of heaven. Those who perform them out of the fullness of a heart transformed by God's righteousness will be rewarded with inner growth and kingdom righteousness in his life and final perfection in the afterlife. To put it in the wording from the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Blessed are those, you are blessed when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be satisfied. You will be rewarded. When your heart is after what God's heart is after, you will experience reward. What is that reward? Well, I believe it is that life abundant that Jesus has come to bring. And that life abundant is not something that we define, it's something that Jesus defines. So while we might look at the world and see the American dream and see possessions and see people having all sorts of friends and see people having a good time and all these things, well, well, there's a lot of good in those things. That's not necessarily the life abundant that Jesus came to bring. I would say the life that Jesus came to bring surpasses those things as we experience and live in the righteousness that God came to bring. Unfortunately, I think that Uh, Many of us keep ourselves from truly experiencing that abundant life because we engage in righteousness for our own glory and not for God's. And that results in us living bitter towards God, wondering, why am I not experiencing the full life? I go to church, I pray, I give, I do good things. I serve in church. Come on, God. Why do I feel depressed? Why do I feel frustrated? Why, why, why? But if the motivation behind our hearts doesn't line up with what God has for us, we end up frustrated towards God. Worse than that too, I think that when we engage in spiritual practices for our own glory, God simply becomes a means to an end. And friends, that is not the order that God has invited us to. Where suddenly God is some sort of tool you know, he, he's a tool for me to, to, to attract others to myself. He is a tool for me to others, for others to speak well of me. He is a tool for me to have a higher place in some sort of social setting. He is a tool for me to be happier, fill in the blank. 
Friends, God is not meant to be a tool for us. Colossians chapter 3, Paul reminds us that Christ is our life. He's not a tool. He's not some accessory to it. He's meant to be all of it. He's meant to be all of it. Well, this principle flows into all spiritual practices. That the reason behind the why of why we are engaging of them in them matters. It matters. So we need to engage in spiritual practice with, with, with hearts that are devoted to God. With hearts that are devoted to God. I think the second thing we see is that we need to have hearts that are generous. Hearts that are generous. Now what's interesting about this section of Scripture is that Jesus is not saying to us, hey, you need to give. Or hey, you need to pray. Or hey, you need to fast. What's interesting about this is I think in our cultural context, that type of a message is incredibly important and we're going to get there. But we need to remember the context. Jesus is preaching to a first century Jewish audience and religion permeated their culture. So it wasn't a question of whether or not you prayed. If you were Jewish, you prayed. It wasn't a matter of whether or not you fasted. You fasted. (laughs) This was just part of being um, in that culture or in that society. And so Jesus is coming at this the way that a personal trainer might come at a professional athlete, right? If we're talking about a professional athlete, uh, we don't have to wonder if a professional athlete is working out at the gym. You know, Connor McDavid, you know, we don't have to walk up to him and say, Connor McDavid, you need to go to the gym. He's going to look at you and go like, what? I'm at the gym like six days a week. Are Are you kidding me? You don't have to tell me that. But a personal trainer might come to Connor McDavid and say, Connor, When you work out in this way, do this. So Jesus here is coming to people who are highly religious. And he's confronting the way that they do the things they already do. And I think this is important for us. When we think about our own spiritual lives, I think it's so easy for us to put God in a box and to have all these structures and systems set up in place that this is how I live my life before God. This is what I think it means to be a Christian. But in the way that Jesus has come to his disciples to bring correction to the ways that they believed they were worshiping God. Similarly, we need to allow Jesus to come to us and bring correction to the ways that you and I live our lives before God. So Jesus comes here and he's not saying you need to give. He's saying when you give. When you give. So generosity, giving, It's just a part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And it's important for us to hear that. Now, in the first century Jewish context, generosity was a pillar of what it meant to be a religious, righteous person. Uh, Looking into church history a little bit, uh, the high priest at the time of Alexander the Great, Simeon the Just, he was credited with the statement that by three things the world is sustained. By the law, by the by temple service, so serving the church, you could say, and by deeds of loving kindness. And so that's a quote out of church history. And so uh, commentator Michael Wilkins comments on this, saying that giving to the needy was one of the pillars of religious life. Poverty was widespread in ancient agrarian societies, and the people of Israel took seriously the obligation to provide for the poor. By the time of Jesus, the phrase to do mercy had become a technical expression of caring for the poor by giving alms. And so again, it wasn't a question of whether or not you give. It was understood that you would give. 
To be a spiritual person meant that you did give. In the same way that we would say, well, if you're a Christian, you go to church, right? It's these, these types of things. And so where did this understanding of giving come from? I, I want to just give us a really quick biblical survey of, of uh, why we as Christians give. Why, why do we feel an obligation to give when we read scripture? And this is coming from Pastor Rick Warren. Um, and we understand that God has called us to give back to him some of our resources. And this is a principle that we call tithing um, or giving back to God. So in Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 18... Oh, I didn't put my marker in this one. I think we have it on the screen. Do we have Deuteronomy? There it is. Uh, Deuteronomy 8.18, we read that you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Deuteronomy 8.18. So the first principle in terms of giving starts with this reality that all that we have is from God. All that we have is from God. You can say it with me. All that I have is from God. My ability to attain what I have is from God. So that's principle one. All we have is from God. It is God's. So we recognize that all we have is something that has actually been entrusted to us. I'm talking from the scriptures. This is a concept we call stewardship. This idea of handling something well. It's something that's been given to you. It's been entrusted to you. You need to take care of it. So that is kind of the the biblical understanding of possessions or wealth. Is that all that we have is from God. God has given it to us to steward or to care for. Then we flip over a bit in scripture. And it's it's kind of all over the place. But a summary verse for us. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 9 to 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the first fruits of all of your produce. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And then here's a promise. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And so scripture not only recognizes that all we have is from God. But it calls us to give back to God a portion of what he has given us. In Proverbs here it's being called first fruits. We're meant to give that back to God. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, Paul is talking to the Corinthians about taking an offering back to Jerusalem. And he talks about that offering coming as a proportioned amount of people's incomes. And this word tithing that we have in Scripture, we understand, means a tenth. And so we kind of look at what's the basis of what I give back to God. Well, it's a tenth, a tenth of your income. Uh, it's it's kind of the understanding that we have coming uh, from Scripture. Um, Terwilliger Community Church, we look at the, the giving that we have, that, that God has given to our church, uh, from, from the generosity of those who call this place their church home. Um, we tithe 10% of our income and give it back to various charitable organizations and missionary efforts around the world. Uh, so we look at that principle as well for us as a church. Um, and I gotta say, Terwilliger, you, you guys are so generous. It's funny, as I was preparing this message, I'm like, they don't need to hear this. Like, man, this church is just so generous. So generous. I I feel when I interact with you all that that you are a congregation that understands that all you have is from God. And that you are blessed to give that back to Him. You are a generous church. I want to commend you in that. And this past week is only a testimony uh, to that truth. So thank you. So the first principle, God has entrusted to us what we have. The second one is that God calls us to give back to him. 
And the third test, the third idea that we have in Scripture comes out of Malachi. And this is just a, a phenomenal verse of Scripture. Malachi chapter 4, verse 10. Uh, so, so God here is addressing the people saying, hey, you are not giving back the way that you're supposed to. And so this is the challenge he brings to his people. Bring the full tithe, that's the 10% of your income, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Wow. This verse blows my mind because here God is calling us to test him in regard to the way we handle our finances. We are supposed to test him. We might think, Lord, I, I cannot give to you this because I, it's, just, it's beyond what I can give. Lord, what do I do? Test me in this. Test me in this. And so we come before God. We lay our finances before him and we say, God, we recognize all that we have is yours. I desire to give back to you what you have. And we ask that he would lead us in being people who trust him with our finances. So this is just a quick biblical survey of what generosity looked like. And so the Jewish people understood this so much that they actually had laws in place that kept individuals from giving beyond their means. They were not allowed to give more than 20% of their income uh, lest their family starve, right? So like first century Jewish, um, Jewish people lived their life so generous before God in that sense. So our generosity then, I think the big idea is that it should mirror the generosity given to us by God. It should mirror the generosity given to us by God. So if we're called to be generous, which again, Jesus is recognizing that that's just what we are doing as God's people. How are we supposed to be generous? Now here's the problem. As generous as this first century community was, it was getting a little out of hand. And people were recognizing that, man, when, when I am generous, when, when people know how much I give, they think higher of me. They think better of me. So Jesus calls us to have a heart of love for God and for others, not a heart of love for ourselves. Back to Matthew chapter 6 in verse 2. Jesus goes on to say, When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. Um, so here's this idea, right, of like, hey, I'm about to give. Everyone needs to watch me. I'm about to do this really good thing. You should all pay attention and take note of how generous I am. Jesus is saying, guys, don't do that. Don't do that. Rather, our hearts that are devoted to God, our hearts that are generous, our hearts that are loving, instead give back to God from that place of, of devotion, of generosity and love. It's not about impressing those around us. Our righteousness is not about impressing those around us. And Jesus says, do not be a hypocrite. Now this word is really interesting. Um, scholars call this a Jesus-ism. <laughs> Uh, in, the, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus uses the phrase hypocrite 13 times in the English Standard Version. And what's interesting is that when Jesus was using this word, it was not considered a negative. It wasn't a bad thing to be a hypocrite. Rather, being a hypocrite simply meant that you were an actor. 
right? It's this whole idea of someone getting up on the stage and, and taking on a role of someone else and acting or performing for other people. So this idea of being a hypocrite was about entertainment. It wasn't negative. But Jesus started using this phrase to say, guys, when it comes to your relationship with God, when it comes to you living your life before God, when it comes to you doing the right things, do not be a hypocrite. Don't have a mask on that that makes it look like you love God, that makes it look like you're devoted to God. Don't have a mask on that makes it look like you're some great person who's doing it for the best interest of others when your heart is not in that place. Jesus is saying that you and I are not meant to be like actors. Jesus is calling out people who do the right action with the wrong heart. He's saying that they're acting righteous, but they are not actually righteous. And what they are after, the praise of other people, um, the the things that they're hoping for, to, to be esteemed by other people, to be recognized, to maybe take a higher place in society, to be someone that others look to and say, man, that person is great, that person is spiritual, that person is wonderful. Friends, that reward that they're after, Jesus said they've received it in full. But that's it. The praise that they get in that moment is all they will ever get for that action. Their reward is temporary. Their reward needs constant top up and is ultimately unsatisfying. It is not life abundant. You know, I was thinking about this and how do I illustrate this a bit better. And I was thinking about how this is the time of year where we wash our cars a lot, isn't it? And if you're like me, this drives you crazy where you, know, you, you go and you spend the time, you spend the money, you get your car washed. You're like, oh, my car looks so clean and shiny and sparkly. And then you drive home and probably even on that drive home, by the time you get home, you're like, oh man, dirt. There's more dirt on my car. Come on, right? And I was thinking about how unsatisfying washing your car in the winter season actually is. Right? The satisfaction is only temporary. It's like this instant, like, finally, my car is clean. My pants won't get covered in dirt again. This is fantastic. But then you drive two blocks and suddenly the car is no longer pristine and shiny the way that it was when you left the car wash. Friends, this is, this is, this is what the hypocrisy, righteous living looks like. It's like cleaning a car in the winter. It feels really great for a moment, but at the end of the day, that car eventually is going to to give out and rust up and get taken away to some crusher or wrecker. It's only temporary. The abundant life that Jesus is calling us to, living our lives before God, is an invitation for something that is not temporary. Jesus desires profound consistency He he desires that our giving would reflect our hearts that have a deep love of God. A deep love of God. And this is contrasted to an actor. 
But this heart is what it is and is unconcerned about being seen by men. The heart that loves God doesn't really care if other people know if they're reading their Bible. The heart that loves God doesn't really care if other people know whether or not they pray. The heart that loves God and is devoted to God isn't really interested in other people knowing how much they give or why they give or in what ways they give. They are interested in glorifying God, their Father, and they find great joy and life and abundance in the context of that relationship. Jesus says that this should be so much so that our left hand does not know what our right hand is doing. How on earth does that work? You know, if I said to you, do not think about the purple elephant. Don't think about the purple elephant. What are you all doing? We are all thinking about the purple elephant. So what on earth is, is Jesus getting at here? Uh, well, another resource I've been drawing on quite heavily for this series is Dallas Willard's book, The Divine Conspiracy. Uh, it is a fantastic book about living our lives with God. And he commentates on the Sermon on the Mount in that book as well. But this is what Dallas Willard has to say about this. And part of it will be on the screen and I'm going to read the quote in full for you. Jesus points beyond action to the source of action in character. This is a general principle that governs all that he says. The kind of people who have been so transformed by character are precisely the kind of people whose left hand would not notice what their right hand is doing. For example, when driving one's own car or speaking one's native language, what they do naturally, often automatically, simply because of what they are pervasively, what they are pervasively and internally. These are people who do not have to invest a lot of reflection in doing good for others. Their deeds are in secret no matter who is watching, for they are absorbed in the love of God and those around them. They hardly notice their own deed and they rarely remember it. Wow. I want to be that type of person whose heart is so in love with God whose heart is so in love with people that good deeds just kind of flow out of them. I want to be the type of person that someone comes up to me and would say something like, hey, you know, when you did that thing, that was such a blessing. And I'm like, what, what thing did I do? Because it's just these acts of righteousness just flow out of you. Because your heart is so in love with God about seeing Him glorified. So how do we get there? Friends, me wanting to take a selfie of me preaching, me wanting to have that great photo, you wanting to do maybe the same types of things in your life, those desires are so natural. We want to be a people who feel like we belong. We want to be people who feel like we have purpose. It's so natural. But do you catch what Jesus is saying here? You are someone who belongs. You are someone who is seen. It just might not be from the types of people that you want to be seen by or noticed by. But what does Jesus say? He says that your Father sees you. Your Father notices you. You are seen and noticed by God. God accepts you. God loves you. 
Your longing for acceptance, your longing for belonging, your longing for purpose, all of these things can be experienced in the context of your relationship with your heavenly Father who sees you. So how do we begin becoming the type of people who live their righteousness only before God, not before other people? It begins by us believing deep in our hearts that we are seen by God. That God is not some abstract concept. He is not some distant, far-off Father, but He is closer than our very breath. He sees you. And He loves you. Those of you who've started maybe a new Bible reading plan this past week, God doesn't care if you check off all the boxes. He doesn't care if you have perfect reading. He cares that you're taking time to sit down and be with Him. For those of you who are are trying to get back to church more and have better attendance, you know, I I love that you're here, but, but God is not concerned about your perfect attendance. He's concerned about your heart. He wants to be with you. He wants you to know Him in deeper ways. And He wants to show you how much He knows you and loves you. And friends, this, I believe, is where we find that reward. (laughs) Of course, Jesus has demonstrated all of this for us. Jesus, who lived his life with a heart devoted to God, a heart of generosity, and a heart of love for God and for other people. And of course, this generosity and this love made made its greatest debut on the cross when Jesus died. Where he emptied himself. And he gave all. It was not some show before men. It was not an event to be put on Facebook or Instagram. Rather, he was despised. He was crushed. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Not something we want to put on display. Friends, that's what we remember this morning. Hopefully you've had an opportunity to gather some elements in your own home. uh, Some bread and some, some grape juice. And we want to take a moment together this morning to remember what Christ has done. Now, in a sermon on generosity, you might think that the application is to be more generous. And and yes, but I've already said, as followers of Jesus, we're generous. It's what we need to be. It's what we need to do. But I want our first response this morning, not to try to be more generous, but I want our first response this morning to be to receive. In the symbols of the bread and the cup, I want us to receive this morning from God his love for us. That as we take this bread, as we take this cup, we will experience this this reality that God is one who sees us and loves us and accepts us. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 26. I'm going to invite the worship team. You guys can come up. So Jesus has gathered his disciples in the upper room. 
And this is where he institutes the Lord's Supper. But first, let me, let me pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your generosity towards us, your love for us. Lord, we thank you for the reality that you see us. God, help us to live in the reward of that and the blessing of that. And God, as those in their homes this morning gather around some bread and some juice, we pray that you would bless those elements. God, that they would be to us more than bread and juice, but a profound recognition of us receiving from you the love that you have for us as we remember the love that you demonstrated for us on the cross. Now, as Jesus and his disciples were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take, eat, this is my body. Let's eat in remembrance of Jesus. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks... He said to them, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's drink the cup together. Jesus concluded, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you. In my Father's kingdom. Drink it again with you. In my Father's kingdom. Let's pray together. Father God. We confess how easy it is. For us to be a type of people. Who just get caught up. In maybe wanting to live our righteousness. Before others. God be it a silly picture. We want to put on Facebook. Be it. Um saying or sharing a story or something to try to make us look or sound better than maybe we are, whatever it is. God, this temptation to live our lives before men to our own glory, Lord, that is a very real temptation. But help us to be the types of people who have hearts that are devoted to you and to your glory, who have, who have hearts that are generous, who have hearts that are loving. God, that the way we live our lives is lived out before you not before others. So would you make that so, Lord Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.